Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 29. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 29. Wherefore will ye plead with me? Ye have all transgressed against me, saith the Lord. The nation of Judah was in rebellion against God. As a result, God was bringing the invader into the land. The word plead here is used in the sense of defiantly stating one's case as in a court of law. The people were claiming that they were not guilty and did not deserve the national chastisements which had already come upon them. They were refusing to be turned from their idolatry, whether by judgments or by the warnings of the prophets. They thought that they could turn aside God's judgment by means of intrigues and by scheming with the nation of Egypt. So they were trusting to a foreign alliance for their security, rather than turning back to the Lord. They were effectively accusing God of injustice, rather than looking into their own hearts. And this is what non-believers frequently do today. Like a barrister in a court of law, they plead with God, setting out their case, even though their case is blatantly opposed to God and his ways. They excuse their sin and unbelief by blaming God for all the problems in the world, such as wars and suffering little realising that human sin is the ultimate cause of all suffering. Not necessarily, of course, on an individual level, but because all men live in a fallen world which is marred by man's rebellion against his maker. So the Lord is saying here that Judah has no case to argue. Their pleading is invalid. Wherefore, will ye plead with me? The Hebrew word translated plead can also be rendered content. And so the people were contending against God. There was no sense of humility amongst them. They were actually fighting against God. And they were full of confidence in doing so. In exactly the same spirit, people today generally imagine that they are modern and enlightened people living in a progressive age which is devoid of the prejudices and backward attitudes of previous generations. Yet, 
All that people are in fact doing today is embracing the wisdom of this world. Which is exactly what God's word declares must not be done. A key text in this regard is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians 2 verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And so our society is in the grips of man-made philosophy and thinking. Our task is to turn it from its gross spiritual darkness. This week means that we must focus on preaching the gospel to as many people as possible. So that individuals see the need of turning from sin and believing in Jesus Christ. Now yes, we also try and influence politicians along biblical lines. But ultimately, it is only by individuals having a personal faith in the Saviour that our society can ever be transformed for the better. The politicians cannot do it. Now, part of preaching the gospel is telling the non-Christian that he must abandon the philosophies of a God-rejecting world, no matter how fashionable they might be. Therefore, God's people today must make a stand against all the wokery of the cultural Marxist establishment which prevails. That means we must make a stand against the ever-continuing activity of the LGBT lobby. And apparently, in the forthcoming King's speech on November the 7th, the government is going to introduce conversion therapy legislation which will seriously hinder the work of churches in calling upon homosexual people to repent. And by proposing that legislation, the king is breaking his coronation oath made just a few months earlier. We need to say that. We must make a stand against the wickedness of abortion. We must make a stand against the completely unnecessary climate change alarmism, which dominates so much of public policy and national life. The Trinitarian God controls the climate, not man. Now, here in Jeremiah's day, the people were ignoring the word of God. 
They were embracing the spirit of the age in their propensity to worship the gods of the surrounding nations. They were doing what would be called today embracing diversity. Little did they realise the appalling consequences which arise when feeble, puny man dares to contend with Almighty God. As the Apostle Paul states in Romans 9 and verse 20, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? Modern man needs to realise he is but clay in the hands of his maker. People today are simply not in a position to argue with God. Any more than a four-year-old child has the right to say to his parents, I reject your authority over my life. In Job 33, verses 12 and 13, we read these words. God is greater than man. We have lost sight of that fact. God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? Man needs putting in his place. He must realise that he is the creature, not the creator. If only he realised his own utter weakness in comparison with God's might, he would quickly stop fighting against him. And we say this to all those who love to pick holes in the Christian faith and bring forth arguments such as why does God allow so much suffering. God does not have to justify himself to men. It is men who are on trial, not Almighty God. Isaiah 45, verse 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Potsherds are broken pieces of pottery. This is an apt description of fallen man, originally fashioned into something fine and meaningful, but now utterly broken. So is the man who rebels against God. These broken pieces of clay might fight with one another, but let them not dare to fight with Almighty God. Man is simply in no position to question God's providential government 
of the earth. Let him rather look at the corruption of his own heart. And so the Lord says to the people in this verse 29, ye all have transgressed against me. And so here we see the nationwide extent of the disobedience to God. The whole of society has become utterly corrupted. What a tragic failure in the nation's spiritual leadership there has been. Where there is so much no such strong leadership. Sin and false religion will inevitably spread fast like a contagious disease. Without the constraints of the biblical gospel, men soon revert to type as the fallen nature reigns supreme, utterly alienated as it is, from God. In Psalm 14 and verse 2, we are told, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Man's sin problem is a a universal one. You see, contemporary thinking thinks that the sins in the world are confined to certain groups of people within the world, certain classes or certain races. But the Bible says that man's problem of sin is universal. And without the sort of a biblical witness, any society quickly falls into a condition of general godlessness and becomes a prey to anti-Christian philosophies, which are very clever at disguising themselves as being full of virtue. Now, we are reminded of the universal rebellion against the one true God at the time of the flood in Noah's day. Genesis 6, verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sin is a universal problem. It's not a problem of the left in politics or the right in politics. It's not a problem within any one particular group of people. It's a universal problem. The corruption in the hearts of men. And then in verse 30, the Lord says here to the nation. In vain have I smitten your children. They received no correction. 
the nation in Jeremiah's time is undergoing chastisements because of her disobedience to the Lord. The afflictions that the nation was experiencing were designed to bring her to repentance. God has always dealt with the nation on this basis. But she had tragically not heeded the Lord's providential warnings. They received no correction from their afflictions. Exactly the same was the case in the time of the judges. Judges 2 and verse 13 tells us, Israel forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth, false gods. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And so the nation was in trouble precisely because it had departed from God. And we are told in that passage, God sold them into the hands of their enemies round about. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. So ignoring God on a national level meant national adversity and susceptibility to enemy attack. The adversity was meant to be a corrective. But in Jeremiah's day, the people refused to let it have that effect. They refused to equate their national troubles with their spiritual rebellion. They had not learnt from the disaster which had already befallen ten of Israel's twelve tribes, which had been taken off into captivity by the invader over 100 years previously. What were the people trusting in? They were trusting in treaties with other nations and in the idols of other nations. Like the Pharisees and Sadducees of a later generation, Judah could not discern the signs of the times. If only they had taken notice of their own scriptures. If only they had remembered, for example, Leviticus chapter 26, where the Lord says this, Leviticus 26, verse 3, If ye walk in my statutes, that's the condition, then moving on to verse 6, I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none make you afraid, and ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand. However, a nation which ignores God in its lawmaking and in its institutions cannot expect God's blessing. 
That is why it is so important that Christians stand up and be counted as governments pass laws in defiance of God's holy laws. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God judges nations as well as individuals. And so we today need to get on our knees to the God who controls governments, armies, economies, social stability and indeed the creation itself. Judah's problem was that she did not respond to the corrections which God and his providence had sent upon her. What happened to the nation of Judah? She ended up losing her very existence and losing her civilization being carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. Likewise today, we in this nation and indeed throughout the Western world are on the brink of civilizational collapse. Make no mistake, everything that has been good about this nation in the past can be traced, as we have heard, to the influence of biblical Christianity. The Lord here reminds the people in this verse 30, Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. Not only had Judah ignored the word of God in the mouths of the prophets, she had actually sought to silence the prophets. This had been a tendency throughout Israel's history. Over 200 years before Jeremiah's day, the prophet Elijah lamented this fact. 1 Kings 19, verse 10. The children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Later on in Jeremiah's ministry, the Lord tells him, in chapter 36, Jeremiah 36 and verse 2. Take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity. So we see God's gracious purpose in sending the prophets 
It was to draw the people back to repentance. But when the words of Jeremiah's scroll were read out in the presence of the king himself, Jehoiakim, he slashed at the scroll in anger with a knife. He cast the scroll into the fire and he ordered Jeremiah's arrest. So we see a hatred of the word of God in high places. God's truth was no longer the mainstream way of thinking. It was rather fashionable and socially acceptable to ignore the word of God. And this is exactly where we have arrived in contemporary Britain. What a desperate situation a nation is in when it reaches a condition such as this. As we look at our own land, we see active attempts to silence Christian testimony. And as we've already mentioned, particularly in the very recently proposed conversion therapy legislation, we were hoping the government had dropped it, but it appears not. Uh, and we certainly know that a Labour government will introduce it. Uh, but you see, our present government wants to be seen to be moving with the time, so it is bringing it in as well. What kind of nation do we live in? We live in one where Christians can be thrown out of their jobs for upholding a biblical world view. They can be thrown out of their jobs for saying a man is a man, and a woman is a woman. How did we get here? Now this charge which God makes through Jeremiah to the nation of Judah is a declaration that the people must humble themselves before it is too late. This charge that the nation has devoured the prophets whom the Lord has sent to them was exactly the same charge which the Lord Jesus Christ himself would make against his own generation. We see this in Matthew 23 and verse 31. Ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Verse 34. Behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them shall ye kill and crucify. Some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed on all the earth from the blood of Abel to the righteous blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the sanctuary and the altar. 
So said the Lord, referring there to Abel and Zachariah. Abel was the first man murdered for righteousness's sake, as recorded in the Old Testament. Zachariah was the last one recorded for the same reason. The books of the Old Testament are in a different order in the Hebrew Bible to our English Bibles. The last book in the Hebrew Bible is 2 Chronicles. And in 2 Chronicles 24, verses 20 to 22, we have an account of the murder of Zechariah in the temple itself. The Lord is saying there in Matthew 23, that upon the generation contemporary with him will come the final divine recompense for all the murderous persecution of God's prophets down the centuries, including the persecution of his own disciples. So the persecution of God's true people would continue in the New Testament period. So the Lord warned his disciples, ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. We today have to tell our own society in its hostility to the Christian gospel Learn from the history recorded for you in the Bible. Realise that any nation which attempts to defy God and his commandments and suppress Christian truth can only bring down disaster upon itself. A little further on in this chapter, Jeremiah declares to his generation in verse 34, In thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. The metaphor is of the victim's blood splashing onto the murderer's clothes. The reference is to the murder of prophets and of other righteous men. And when we think of the slaughter of poor innocents, Uh, We can, of course, think of the 10 million babies slaughtered in this country since 1967. One of the recent kings of Judah, Manasseh, is recorded as having shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Within Jeremiah's lifetime, In 586 BC, Jerusalem's temple would be destroyed by the Babylonians. The land would be completely overrun. God would reckon with the nation's deep-seated sin and its ignoring of his prophets. We are reminded of Paul's words. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. As in Jeremiah's time, so today, 
Ignoring God will inevitably mean national adversity. No nation on earth can presume upon prosperity and well-being if it turns its back on the judge of all the earth. What hostility God's prophets had to endure in Israel. And what opposition to the faith of Jesus Christ there is in our own land today. Any nation which attempts to defy God and his holy law can only bring down disaster upon itself. That is not an exaggeration. This means that our own nation today is right now in grave danger. It is in danger of failed harvests, other natural disasters, the advent of war, the advent of being involved in a worldwide war. It is in danger of grave social instability. It is in danger of economic collapse. These are the chastisements which a wayward people deserve. Now, we must not think that God has changed his manner of dealing with the nations in the transition from the old to the new covenants. The institution of nationhood has not been abolished under the new covenant. The people of God are made up of every tribe and tongue, but the institution of nationhood, and I might add with controlled borders, remains. It's part of God's providence for a fallen world. Acts 17, verse 26, makes this clear. So the Lord continues to deal with nations as nations in our own time. And that is why a national perspective is so important for Christians. If we look at the great men of God of church history, they so often had a burden for their people. We need to have a burden for our own land. John Knox once famously said, Give me Scotland or I die. What the Lord told the Israelites as they were about to enter into the promised land in the time of Moses applies no less to the nations today. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments, then verse 5, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. 
Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Verse 7. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. The Lord will bless the nation that honours him. So the only solution today to Britain's abandonment of its glorious Christian inheritance is to preach vigorously the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. There is no other solution. The politicians cannot do it. The United Nations cannot do it. The World Health Organization cannot do it. And let us pray that the government doesn't hand our sovereignty over to the World Health Organization. Only the gospel can change the nation for the better. Amen. So we have to go out, as we have heard today, into the public places where people gather. Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 8. So that as many as possible will hear the truth of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Non-believers do not generally come anywhere near churches to hear the gospel. We cannot expect them to come in. They don't want to hear it because they have sinful natures. So our calling is to go into the highways and byways to proclaim the truth to them where they are. It is the gospel alone which can change the human heart. And if individuals are transformed in the power of the Holy Spirit upon hearing the gospel, society will begin to transform itself for the better. How we must strive to reverse the tragic, God-rejecting trend which has prevailed for so many decades now in this country. How we need to preach Jesus Christ and his great salvation with all of our hearts to this dark and lost nation whose civilization is collapsing before our very eyes it is only righteousness before God that will ever again exalt this nation Amen. that is why we must preach the gospel with all of our hearts Amen, Amen. Amen.